0: Welcome back to Sequelize It, where we chronicle the triumphs and dissect the disasters of movie franchises. This week, we wrap up our look at the Indiana Jones franchise with Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, a movie that is certainly a movie. Swinging through the jungle on vines of indifference, my name is KC, and joining
1: me is... Your Foxy Friend Backlash, and I am here to talk about aliens, I suppose.
2: I'm no Chris alive. sequelized its mastodon of the monotone, and please, someone give me a full-time job.
0: Uh, before we get started on this movie, that is certainly a movie. Here are a few ways that you can help us help the podcast grow. One, you can leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting app of choice. Two, be sure to subscribe so you can be the first to hear new episodes. Three, follow us on Twitter at Sequelize It. Four, send us an email and let us know what movie franchises you'd like to see us take on at Sequelize It at gmail.com. And five, if you like what we're doing, just tell a friend to give us a listen and keep on circulating the podcast. Chris and Backlash, how are we feeling Having just watched Indiana Jones in the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, a movie that
1: definitely exists. I mean, I have said, uh, I am the one to play devil's advocate a bit. I probably don't hate this movie as much as you. That being said, it's not good. <laughs> now, uh, a lot of people like to compare this movie to the prequels. I don't think it's as bad as the prequels. No. But, uh, I. Here, here, here's what I mean. I think you'd both agree with me that Indiana Jones movies are a bit formulaic, wouldn't you say? Uh, Yeah, in, in a way, kind of. Yeah, and this movie does not really stray from that formula. There are, uh, there's, you know, exciting fight scenes, exciting chase scenes, uh, archaeological mysteries, things of that nature. It's all just really fucking dumb
0: uh i mean i would question saying exciting but i'll i'll let chris go before me
2: yeah i mean i i don't think any of the action was was particularly of note in this in this movie some of it looked even it's funny because i can point to raiders and and temple like the one time in each podcast where i'm like oh that was the worst effect in the movie and wow this movie for again another Exhibit for for the the dangers of CGI. Action just looks very hokey in this. There there's there's no grit whatsoever. With that being said, I think that some of the character work in this is good, with the exception that, I mean, in the in the two thousands we were like, oh Shia LaBeouf Transformers, uh, fucking the OC. What a what a annoying fucking uh, teenage young adult actor and and now it's it's like oh no Shia LaBeouf, he's a he's a piece of fucking garbage and if it, it i would appreciate him more i would appreciate him in this movie more if if he was not a piece of fucking garbage
1: yeah he's actually pretty good in this movie like people like to point out that he is fucking terrible in, in the transformers movies which he is but I I've always found him kind of a a natural actor who can just you know kind of slip into these into roles like this and he and he does good in this movie he he yeah. feels period appropriate and he plays off Harrison Ford really good mm-hmm. he's that's just he's just the, a terrible terrible human being that's the difference between having
0: Steven Spielberg as your director and having Michael Bay as your director like yeah. that's it in a in a nutshell. And your yeah. and
2: your sort of appeal not being charisma on the level of someone like Will Smith, who in a Michael Bay movie can can do well, or Martin Lawrence, who's a who's a natural comedian.
0: Yeah. When we get <clears> to a Michael <throat> Bay movie, it's gonna be fun times <laughs> trying trying to
1: figure out how <laughs> we'll we... have fun we'll have fun with the bad boys movies. We'll be in pain with the Transformers movies. Yeah. And tragically, my favorite movie of his is not a franchise. Wait, which,
0: well, before I get to trivia and stuff, which one is it?
1: Uh, It's uh, Pain and Game, Notoriously, the movie uh, he got Mark Wahlberg to do for scale in return for being in Transformers 4. (laughs) And that movie is amazing. I absolutely love it.
0: I hear lots of good things about that that movie, surprisingly, considering it's a Michael Bay movie. I've
2: heard mixed things, but maybe one day. People also talk up The Rock. Not in Pain and Gain. I mean, Michael Bay is the Rock. <laughs>
1: <sighs> <sighs> but yeah, Arnold uh, is also in Pain and Gain. Uh, uh, so, anyways, <laughs> <laughs> just, just a bit of use just a bit of useless trivia. That's what I got. Ah,
0: So, with, uh, you can tell how interesting this movie is because we just spent, like, three minutes talking about Michael Bay instead of this movie. So, with that, with, with, with that little bit of foreshadowing, uh, out of the way, uh, I guess we can move on to trivia. When last we left the duo of Lucas and Spielberg, Lucas was content with letting the Indiana Jones franchise stand at three movies, and Spielberg went on to direct a few movies you might have heard about. Jurassic Park, Schindler's List, Amistad, Saving Private Ryan, you know, just a random selection of some of the best movies ever made. In 1992, Harrison Ford returned to the role of Indiana Jones with a spot in the young Indiana Jones Chronicles television series. Seeing an older Harrison Ford, Lucas came up with the idea that a new Indiana Jones movies could take place in the 1950s. And what's more 1950s than B-movies and aliens? Ford, who himself had managed to break away from his iconic roles as Indy and Han Solo with turns in The Fugitive, Clear and Present Danger, and Air Force One, amongst many others, balked at the idea of Indiana Jones getting mixed up with aliens, saying something along the lines of, no fucking way am I being in a Steven Spielberg movie about aliens. (laughs) Spielberg himself had already dabbled with aliens before, having directed Close Encounters of the Third Kind and E.T. The Extraterrestrial, and he resisted the idea of making yet another movie with aliens in it. After the movie Independence Day came out, Spielberg said that he had no interest in directing an alien invasion movie at all. <laughs> Spoiler warning, Spielberg would go on to direct War of the Worlds literally right before <laughs> Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Despite a rough draft of the script being written by Jeb Stuart, i.e. the man who co-wrote The Fugitive, Lucas put the movie on the back burner and went to work on the Star Wars prequels. So, in a way, we have Ford and Spielberg to thank for the mess that is the prequel trilogy. In the year 2000...
2: Sorry, if you want to know more about the Star Wars prequels, listen to our first three episodes.
0: (laughs) In the year 2000, Spielberg would say that his kids were constantly asking him when the next Indiana Jones movie would come out, and that the franchise was still alive and well. Around that same time, Lucas and producers Frank Marshall and Kathleen Kennedy would honor Harrison Ford at the American Film Institute's tribute to the actor and reminisce over how fun it would be to do another Indiana Jones movie. You also have to understand where Spielberg was at as a director at this time to understand why he might have wanted to do another Indiana Jones movie. Yes, this man created some of the best movies of all time, And also The Lost World, Jurassic Park, and Minority Report, and War of the Worlds, which are not some of the best movies of all time. But almost everything he had created at this point was pretty dark, at least in terms of what qualifies as darkness when it comes to Steven Spielberg. A return to the light, adventurous fare of Raiders and The Last Crusade made a lot of sense when you consider that. Uh, Lucas, still trying to get the aliens thing over, would make the pitch to Spielberg that the aliens themselves are not space aliens, but interdimensional beings, which meant the proper amount of notes changed for Spielberg to feel like he wasn't making yet another space alien movie. Lucas would also suggest that the movie be centered around the Crystal Skulls, which most scholarly sources have described as complete and utter bullshit. The Crystal Skulls are the source of much controversy, In the same way that all humans were actually mermaids once upon a time and God put dinosaur bones in the grounds to tempt humans to question their faith, are controversies. None of the known crystal skulls have stood up to any sort of archaeological testing, and almost none of them have been discovered during an actual recorded excavation. Lucas and Spielberg would approach M. Night Shyamalan to write and direct this movie. But M. Night, thankfully, thought it would be too difficult to write a sequel for what essentially he thought was going to be a sequel to Raiders, which is one of his favorite movies of all time. Uh, Steven Gagum, writer of the movie and winner of an Academy Award for the movie Traffic, and a Golden Raspberry winner for the movie Doolittle, was considered to write it, and also, uh, writer's Tom Steppard was also approached. (sighs) Frank Deberant had written for the young Indiana Jones Chronicles and wrote a draft for Indy 4 entitled, Indiana Jones and the City of Gods, with Nazis pursuing Indy for the Skulls. Spielberg allegedly dug the idea, but Lucas wasn't so keen on it. With the movie being set in the 1950s, it was also decided to change the villains to the Russians since they couldn't really ignore the Cold War. Also, Spielberg thought it might have been in slight poor taste to parry the Nazis yet again after directing Schindler's List. Lucas would then uh, attempt to write the movie himself with Jeff Nathanson, who wrote, uh, get a load of this, Speed 2 Cruise Control, Rush, (laughs) Rush Hour 2 and 3, Along with Catch Me If You Can and The Terminal for Spielberg, turning in another draft for the movie titled Indiana Jones and the Atomic Ants. Nope. Don't ask me, I just write nope. the trivia.
2: I mean, some of that probably survived, but but the thing about it is, and that was probably a reference to the sci-fi movie Them, but um, yeah. the thing about it is, Rush Hour 2, pretty fucking entertaining.
1: That's, yeah, I'm I, sorry, I just... <laughs>
2: <laughs> that that series has not aged well.
1: Um, no, but um <laughs> Speed 2 cruise control is probably one of my favorite bad movies.
2: <laughs> oh okay. and and uh Brett Ratner, another piece of shit. Rush Hour Three, absolute fucking disaster.
1: Hiryuki yeah.
2: Sonata, you you poor, poor man. I saw that movie for the for the first time in years two weeks ago. Because I like I wanted to, mainly because of the scene where Chris Tucker and Jackie Chan sing The the Closer I Get to You. That's like the only reason why.
1: (laughs) Uh, Just close your eyes and think about how much money Chris Tucker made off that movie. He made more than Jackie Chan. Yeah. (sighs) David Cope, who had written Jurassic
0: Park 1 and 2 for Spielberg, along with goddamn Spider-Man, the Sam Raimi one, War of the Worlds, and Zathura, A Space Adventure, would go on to write the mostly final-ish draft of the script. Karen Allen returns to play Marion in this movie and was more or less informed that she was going to be in the movie after the movie had already been announced. Kate Blanchett took the role of Irina Spalgo mostly because she wanted to work in the role of a villain. Apparently, she kind of weirded Harrison Ford out, which is... If you're weirding Harrison Ford out, you're, you're just a weirdo. <laughs> and John Hurt refused to sign on unless he saw the script first, though he probably would have signed on anyway, seeing as though he referred to Steven Spielberg as God in interviews. John Rhys-Davies was approached to do a cameo at the end of the film, but declined, feeling that his part would have been too small. Also, Shia LaBeouf is here. Yep. Anyways, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull had a budget of $185 million and made $790.7 million at the box office and was the third most successful film of 2008 after Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End and Iron Man. The movie has a 78% on Rotten Tomatoes with a 53% audience score.
1: Anyone have anything they want to add? I'm trying to picture this directed by M Night Shyamalan. Uh I lots mean, of uncomfortable close-ups, awkward silences,
0: lots of weird one shots for no real reason, unfinished special effects, lots M. of My- uh,
2: <laughs> dead voiced uh, dialogue between which Harrison Ford would have been would have jumped into. But
0: Yeah. Uh, I just thought of Harrison Ford in Signs. That would have been that would have been interesting, maybe yeah. even more. Would be so kind neat. Yeah, more so than Mel Gibson. Also, would make Signs still watchable.
2: Yeah, I'll also say that I enjoyed Harrison Ford in this more than I did in Temple of Doom.
0: Yeah, yeah, well, well, that's not hard considering the fact that you know he. I think he did get injured on on set, but he, you know. He wasn't in literal, actual
1: agony because his back was basically broken in this movie. I do want to talk about the 50s B-movie aesthetic they were apparently going for. I would consider myself a connoisseur of 50s B-movies. This is no 50s B-movie. <laughs> a 50s B-movie is 90% guys wandering around a lab wondering what the fuck is going on. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, <laughs> And 10% oh, there's a giant thing that we have to run away from.
2: Yeah and it, and it's busting through a door.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think it was just an ex- I don't it's weird because Lucas and Spielberg are both very much into old movie serials, but it would seem weird to me that they were like into like 50s B movies. That doesn't seem like in their uh, that doesn't seem very much in their genre. Well, if that makes thing. sense. The type
2: of thing that uh, Indiana Jones is taking after everything from like swashbuckling to like adventure serials and stuff like that would have appeared cheesy to to, like our eyes. But the thing about Spielberg and Lucas is that they they came up in the 70s, like new Hollywood era when there was a significantly more bigger amount of grit in pictures. Everything looks sunbaked. Um things that like Indiana Jones exerts more even if he gets himself into like wild situations uh but with this one it just seems that uh i don't know it ju- it just seems a bit more fantastical than than grounded
0: yeah it seems it, it seems a little much basically just it's just outside the realms of what you would think an Indiana Jones movie would be. <sighs> and with that, we move on to Act 1 and our feature presentation. 1957, the United States was gripped in the midst of a cold war with the Soviet Union. Four years later, the state of Georgia is still segregated. 60 years after that, Cody Rhodes ends racism by having a black wife (laughs) and a biracial child and cutting a wrestling promo. (laughs) Truly, we have come far as a nation. But back in the 1950s, we get the classic Indiana Jones titles set against a backdrop of a group of teenagers racing an army patrol to the classic tunes of Elvis, presumably because putting Elvis in a movie denotes that a movie takes place in the 50s in the same way that putting Creedence Clearwater Revival in a movie indicates that a movie is taking place in the 60s.
2: And specifically the Vietnam War.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. If it seems like I'm faffing on a bit at the beginning, it's only because this movie gives us basically the entire two and a half minutes of the song even though these teenage characters aren't important and exit the film almost as quickly as they enter it. The army caravan we've been watching arrives at a checkpoint, at which point they're told that the base is closed down because the U.S. is going to test a nuke in the desert. In response, the army caravan shoots everyone at the checkpoint. Turns out this I'd army caravan- I'd, I'd like you to put shoots in as big as quotations as possible. Oh, oh Okay. Uh just imagine uh, big air quotes. The army caravan shoots everyone at the checkpoint. Turns out this army caravan isn't the army at all. It's the communists! No, not the people who want universal health care and a raised minimum wage. The actual communists from the Soviet Union. The big ugly one that's around a job to Indy in the second act opens up a, opens up the trunk of a car and we're introduced to a much more weathered and older looking Indiana Jones. We're also introduced to Andy's partner, Mac. Spoiler warning, Mac is a heel. So the comics have stormed the base of a very familiar looking warehouse because they're convinced Indy knows where something is. Indy tells the guy who's ass he's definitely gonna kick an act two to fuck off. Before the Rusky opens up a can of Cold War era whoop-ass, He's stopped by Kate Blanchett in an unconvincing wig. Her name is Arena, and she's here to say she's gonna read Indy's mind in a psychic way. Oh Jesus, that was that sounded even worse than it did when I wrote it. <sighs> Anyways, Indy has seen the emulation of Nazis, a man's heart getting pulled out of his chest, in literal actual confirmation that God exists, but he's definitely not buying arenas. Psychic shtick. So they're at Area 51 because it's a movie that takes place in the 50s. Turns out Indy worked on something 10 years ago, and the Cobby Snake Indy knows exactly where it's located. Indy feigns ignorance right up until the part where he's held at Sword Point by Arena. Yes, Sword Point. Indy acts for a compass, which none of the armed soldiers have for some reason, and then he acts for their gunpowder. Turns out the object they're looking for is highly magnetized, which literally raises all of the fucking questions. Questions such as, why can this thing pull metal pellets out of the sky, but it doesn't attract any of the guns? Why does it only move the metal lights when it's convenient? Why is Arena able to stand right next to it with a sword and not get yanked in by it until it's taken out of a wooden crate? Yes, I'm being really pedantic and cinema right now, but quite honestly, all this stuff is quite boring, so allow me to try and entertain you because I don't think the movie will. <sighs> so, they find this thing that clearly looks like an alien and right away I roll my eyes, but never mind all that, it's time for Indiana Jones Climactic First Act Action Scene. It, uh, it's certainly an action scene in an Indiana Jones movie. Also, the Ark of the Covenant is just laying out in the open, because why the shit would the Russians want that? No matter! So, Andy bumbles into an escape on, like, some sort of rocket sled thing? Uh, After that, the Russians are hot on his tail, though, so Andy makes it to the closest town. Only problem is, this isn't actually a town, it's a model town that's about to be exploded by a damn nuke. Indy manages to survive by crawling inside of a refrigerator that's lined with lead. Apparently, the screenwriter thinks that nukes rain kryptonite and that Indiana Jones is Superman. Also, there are gophers. Next scene! Indiana Jones is found by FBI narcs. It is questioned about why the hell he led the Russians straight to the alien artifact And Indy is all, dude, I fought in the war, I'm not a commie. And they're like, the guy you fought in the war with is a commie, and you helped him find the thing. And Indy is all, handsome guy shrug, until a military commander of some sort that I can't be arsed to remember the name of comes and helps Indy get out. So Indy goes back to doing the one thing that he's probably terrible at. Teaching! But it's no sweat. Indy is put on indefinite leave because it's the 1950s and there's a red scare on. Indy's friend, who isn't Marcus Brody, resigns in protests, which, why would he make sure that Indy was able to be placed on indefinite leave and with pay, but he gets fired? Uh, whatever, Indy is sad because Marcus and Henry have both passed away, one because he's actually passed away, and one because Sir Sean Connery wasn't about to come out of retirement away from his literal island paradise of a home to show up in this fucking flick.
1: Also, the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen killed his interest in acting. I can't imagine why. (laughs) Indy decides
0: there's nothing left for him in Connecticut, Did you guys know all the university scenes are supposed to be in Connecticut? Because I sure didn't. No. No. (laughs) And he gets a train ticket to New York. But before he can ride off into the sunset, pre-crisis Shia LaBeouf shows up and asks him if he's ever heard of the war doctor, uh, I mean Harold Oxley. This is enough to get Indy off the train to sit down with Mutt. Yes, that is what the movie calls him, because... 50s, I guess, who informs Indy that his mom, Mary Williams, wanted Mutt to deliver this letter to Indy if she ever got in trouble. Harold Oxley was searching for the Crystal Skulls. Ox went missing in South America and Mary went after him to try and mount rescue but it's all gone sideways and now they're both captured. Before they can discuss it further, Indy notices a couple of KGB agents staring at them. Indy makes Mutt punch some preppy guy so we can get the preps and the greasers to fight because it's the 1950s. Indy hops onto a motorcycle with Mutt and another chase ensues, and yes, it's certainly a chase. After the chase ends, they head back to Indy's place. And Indy solves Oxley's riddle in, like, two minutes by translating an unheard language by running it through an unrelated language, which points to them going to Peru. With that, Act 1 ends, and dear God, there are still two
1: hours of this fucking movie to go. <sighs> so, you Also, know, Act 3, that that big Russian guy jobs out.
0: Oh, my, my apologies. They
2: had a lot of teases with him.
0: Yeah. But I uh, I just... You know how we were saying that, like, the opening to Raiders of the Last Ark was so economical and it gives you all the information that you need and there's not a lot of wasted motion or wasted scenes. And I think, you know, Temple of Doom for as crazy as its opening is... It gets into the action fairly quickly. Uh, same with The Last Crusade. This, this, I just did this opening drag. Did this opening drag for you guys too, or am I just being like too cynical about it?
1: I don't know. I mean, like, I, I don't think I hate the chase scenes as much as you do. Like, like the car chase in the warehouse. Kind of fun. Like, there's, they do some fun stuff with that. The rocket sled is stupid and probably would have turned indie into, into uh, several tiny particles, but it's fine. And the motorcycle chase, I thought was really well done. Uh, I just. Uh, but aside some... from that, I think I can see your point. Yeah, it, it's, it's a lot of exposition that doesn't really say a lot. I think my,
0: I think my problem with it like with the scenes in particular it's not that they're not well done it's just that there's nothing there's not a spot in them that really catches my attention like you know you know even in the the chase scene at you know towards the end of Raiders of the Last Ark which we said you know went on a little bit too long there's still like Harrison Ford actually getting pulled alongside of the thing, or, or getting pulled, uh, getting pulled uh, by the truck. You know, climbing around the truck, having to. There's a bunch of interesting in-camera stunt work that's happening. Um, The same thing with the bridge in Temple of Doom, which you know none of us were huge fans of Temple of Doom, but I felt like that bridge sequence was actually. Pretty good, and you know, it got my blood pumping. And certainly, it has the minecart scene, and you know, there's scenes. You know, the motorcycle chase in Last Crusade was great. There's just something about this that doesn't. It doesn't resonate with me. It didn't capture my attention in the same way that. The other ones did, and I'm trying to figure out if it's because it's more obvious that these scenes were, uh, with the exception of the motorcycle chase, which I am probably underplaying. I did like that scene a lot, but again, that had a lot of actual in-camera stunt work, so I think that's why it, I liked that one more, but the first scene at the warehouse just like didn't grab me at all.
2: I also think that, like, often, um, well, the Raiders of the Lost Ark opening was to was to essentially set up the character and, in a small part, set up the villain. Uh, Temple of Doom, it was to get them from one place to another. Um, Last Crusade it was to set up the the MacGuffin and and kind of like go transition from like kid to adult as we we introduce something that deals with family. In this, they introduce the MacGuffin early on. We have the crystal skull, um, and then they divert just to again pay tribute to the fifties with the with the sort of fridge bomb. In addition to to like the the sort of the very distracting meerkats.
1: Yeah, what like was I, up with that? Like, it, like it's the first thing you see in the movie, and then they keep showing up throughout throughout the whole thing until we're back in Connecticut, I guess. Mm it's just like needless cgi and like uh, yeah it's an idea someone had probably yeah, lucas yeah.
2: yeah on a macro level it, i just feel like the, the opening scene kind of loses focus just to just to do like another like to do an unfathomable stunt and on a micro level you you kind of have the first instance of of just really really poor cgi yeah,
0: yeah. and CG, cgi for no reason i mean in the first three movies we talked about just how much craft there was in the filmmaking and this movie is completely shot uh in the united states um spielberg did not want to shoot on location he wanted to stay close to his kids which i don't blame him for yeah but uh, you can there is uh Chris, you said there's there's grit in those other movies. There's a lack of grit in these movies that kind of pulls me out of it because the world that the first three movies exist in feels so real and lived in that this one comes off almost, like, too shiny and polished. Like, I don't... Even Indiana Jones, when he first shows up, he just, even though he's got his outfit and the hat, he doesn't look disheveled enough. Like, Indy usually is all sweaty and, like, I don't know. It's just, there's something that that just didn't click with me. And I'm, no, you're,
1: I'm... you're absolutely right. And it's something I want to talk about. Um, there are other people who have pointed this out. Um, this movie is very sanitized when it comes to violence. Like, I mentioned the soldiers getting shot. That happens kind of off screen. Yeah. And it's, it, and we all know Temple of Doom is famous for creating the PG-13 rating because holy shit, That did you see that movie? How was it a PG? <laughs> and... I don't know. Like, like Last Crusade really didn't have that problem. Like, there's still a lot of uh, people, you know, getting shot and everything in that movie. And it's been pointed out, Indy only kills one person in this movie, and that's and that's even and even that's questionable. When we get to that in Act Two, but oh, yeah, yeah, everything yeah. about everything about this just feels so like it feels wrong. It, it feels wrong. Right? It feels really safe, like I'm gonna say later in the movie, we're going to have one of the most horrifying yet still somehow sanitized deaths in this series,
2: yeah, yeah, so just to shift gears a little, um do you feel as if the movie both sides the whole thing with with uh, the East and West like they just present the Cold War, or do you think that they they at least like throw enough bone to to sort of like communist ideology or whatever because you see them?
1: I think that's what they were going for a lot of the time uh-huh. because they, they they make the FBI guys really antagonistic. Like they, they really put out you're not supposed to like these guys. By the way, I couldn't take them seriously because one of them is the janitor from Scrubs. Yes. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Who is also in the fugitive <laughs> as as revealed by Scrubs.
1: That, um, yes, that was <laughs> uh, Scrubs. Uh, but yeah, the, like they're very antagonistic and it's it's well documented. That um, that paranoia was rampant through this yeah. era of and the they, government, and
2: and they of course like crashed a bunch of college protesters of communism, which is kind of weird. Well, I mean, now these days I can't really see that out of the ordinary of, of just people like there being like an, a sort of like anti woke uh, protest on a on a college campus. I mean, I've seen them in colleges that I've went to. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I I don't know if it both sides them as much as it doesn't do enough to explain kind of where each is where each side is kind of coming from. Mm-hmm. Like Bellick in the first movie, he he doesn't necessarily necessarily fall in with the Nazi shit. Like the Nazis are just like a means to an end for him to get the thing that he wants, which is really like. Somewhat fame, but really fortune. And that's sort of established up front in the in the movie. Um I guess even in Temple of Doom, the bad guys want the Shinkara Shikara stone Shikara stones. Speaking of pieces of shit. Um they want the, Sh- the Shinkara stones because it's gonna grant them some level of power. But they don't even pretend like they completely dehumanize you know, those bad guys. Don't even pretend like they're anything. And then, in Last Crusade, we're back to the Nazis being the most hated of the hated scum. And, uh... Oh, shoot, what was her name? The the Elsa Russian... Elsa Schneider. Yeah, Elsa. She Allison's wants... duty. <laughs> duty. <laughs> we're ten years old. <laughs> but, um... Yeah, she kind of, they kind of hedge with her not necessarily agreeing completely with the Nazi ideology. But for the most part, the bad guys in those movies are bad guys. In this movie, it seems like they don't know how to quite play the Russians. It's like they want them to be the bad guys, but they can't really be the bad guys because they were never bad guys on the same level of the nazis no like their threat was very i mean not to underplay the horrible things that happened you know during the existence of the soviet union but like for the most part like the reason the Cold War is a Cold War is because the United States and Russia never really fought each other. They just built up massive nuclear arsenals, but it seems like the movie doesn't quite know how to frame them as villains. I guess I keep, is I my can take- yeah. Um, I don't know. I like are we talking. You guys say that the movie is sanitized. I say that this movie is very safe. This is this is a 10-minute house show match stretched into two and a half hours. It's, like, very clearly designed for, like, to be the least offensive thing, which is weird because, like, again, Temple of the Doom, I don't... Temple of Doom isn't a great movie, but, like, at least it took chances. At least it was bold. You know, at least it, you know, explored, like, crazy fucking out-there ideas. And you could say the same thing with the Ark of the Covenant. You could say the same thing with the... You know, you could say the same thing about La- with L- Last Crusade. This movie just seems like everything it does is just playing it really, really safe. It's they're They're just trying to drive a run home. They don't necessarily want a home run; They just want you know a single that drives someone in and has you know the home team up by one run at the bottom of the eighth. I don't really watch baseball. I think I lost myself there
2: i think I think what you said mostly worked,
0: <laughs> uh, but. Yeah, and then, but I do think Harrison Ford is completely comfortable being back in the role. Mm-hmm. It seems like he just, you know, slips back into it. And yeah, Shia LaBeouf is a piece of shit, but like, people were saying, like, he was the worst thing about this movie, but he's really not. Like, he's. <sighs> Separate him from the fact that he is a horrible human being and. He's always been a better actor than I think he gets credit for. Mostly because, oh, oh, absolutely, yeah. Mostly because people mainly saw him in the fucking Transformers movies, which are all bad and horrible. I think his chemistry with, with Harrison Ford is is really solid. I I think I... Again, I kind of had to roll my eyes... When he says his mom's name is Mary Williams. And Indiana Jones, who can, you know, decode a language by running it through another language in two minutes. Can't figure out that Mary Williams is probably Marion, who was last seen hanging out with Harold Oxley. And he just, it, it never connects with him until... Spoiler warning: She shows back up in the movie. It's just like it's a weird place to make Indiana Jones seem completely and utterly stupid. <sighs> so,
2: there, we could also talk about uh, Kate Blanchett as Irina Spalco, and she, uh, she gives it her. Certainly
1: all. exists. Yeah,
2: <laughs> but but at the same time, I, n-
1: I, I don't know why. I've just never been impressed by Kate Blanchett in anything. Mm. I liked her.
2: Uh, in, I liked her in Thor Ragnarok. As far as like comparable sort of movies, it, if there's any issue, yeah she, with,
1: yeah, she was pretty good in that. But mm.
2: her accent slips like a damn good amount of times in this. Uh,
0: yeah, I just again. Yeah. All like we can do is compare her to the villains in the other movies and it's like Is she as Is she as threatening as Belloc? Is she as uh if we're being generous, is she as
1: uh
2: She's too much of a caricature. Yeah Like like hairstyle, um Uniform accent, sort of. Just, just the sort. Of, like her stated purpose is, is like, uh, like job description. It's there. There's not. There doesn't seem to be like any character. Maybe until like the end scene where she, where she's like not. Com- where she doesn't seem evil so much as just like misguided or obsessive.
0: Yeah, it, she just doesn't. I, I mean, the only way to really say it is that she's not a great lead villain in this movie, and right. I don't think that's necessarily her fault. I just think that they didn't. They certainly weren't trying to make her to be the same kind of villain that the other villains that we've seen. Right,
1: and have she been. also
2: her team her screen time is also kind of taken by by the heavy of that movie, the Russian heavy.
0: Yeah, so it's like you have. This movie tries to do too much. I feel it's weird that it's safe, but it also tries to do too much. I felt like you could probably have the character of Irina played a lot more straight, and it probably would have come off better. I feel like the heel turn for Mac just is like doesn't make really any sense. I guess he really wants he just wants money, which.
1: Uh, yeah. I actually had something to say about that. There's a camera fuck up in, in that scene. Yeah, there is.
2: Wait, I this is something I didn't notice.
1: It, yeah, it's and- when it, it's when uh, Indy and Mac they have guns on the rush, and, and Indy says, "Put your guns down," and they put them down. But then they put them back up, and you're like, "What?" But then it cuts, and it's a wide shot, and you can clearly see Mac holding a holding his gun at Indy. But then it cuts to the close up of her of uh, of Indy, and then it pans over like that's a reveal.
0: Oh. <laughs> yeah. Which, that didn't seem like a very Spielbergian thing. He's usually so meticulous with his shots, and that one was just like, oh, it was really, really disorienting. I don't know. Like, this this first act of the movie did not put me in a, a great mood. Like, I wasn't pissed off, but I was kind of, like, bored and, like, vaguely confused and like because I I thought this movie was going to be really really bad and I can kind of like I can enjoy a bad movie or I can be like angry at a bad movie and it can like power me through it but this movie is just like especially the first act it's just kind of dull it's just it's just dull and it feels like Nothing really happens, even though stuff is happening.
2: <sighs>
0: do, do, do we have anything else on Act
2: 1? Nope.
0: All right. Then we'll go on to Act 2.
2: Okay. Um, I'll get started. Yeah. Anyhow, uh, we get a trademark map transition screen. Mutt secures his motorcycle on board. Indy and the kid arrive at Nazca, and we have a bonding conversation to learn more about Mutt's frequently tempestuous relationship with his education. Indy reassures him. As they continue, the camera stays on Mac in a Panama hat, so you know he's evil, spying on them. They arrive at the sanitarium where Oxley was kept due to apparently going mad. Indy and Mutt find a cell full of carvings in different languages of the word return and similarly elongated skulls as the the crystal skull from the opening. Indy concludes that they must hit up Oriana's grave site. At the cemetery, their search is interrupted by a native ambushing him while screaming like R2-D2. The lighting in the (laughs) scene kind of sucks. They tussle with the grave protectors. Indy blows one of their poison darts back into their throats. After Indy pulls out a gun, Mud is surprised that Indy is a teacher. It is okay, Indy assures him, because he is not a teacher on a full-time schedule. (laughs) There's a term for it that I'm forgetting. Within Oriana's grave, they search around and find a bunch of mummified corpses. Amid them is that of the Gilded Knight? Ruler? Forgot what it was. And within his own husk, they find another crystal skull, which Oxley has willingly returned to its site. Uh, They piece together a narrative of how the skull got back. And as they step out in true Indiana Jones fashion, they find themselves in the clutches of the Soviets having done all the work for their antagonists. We get another map transition as the Soviets deliver Indy to their camp in the Amazon jungle. While the Russians do their Cossack dances outside, Mac reveals that he sold out to the highest bidder, that being Arena Spelko, which uh, we already know. Like His motivation is money either way. Spelko, for her part, reveals the Soviets' plan to a tied-up Indy. Her accent slipping in and out, she explains that the Crystal Skull is the key to alien technology and power that will give the East immense psychic power. Despite having gone through at least three different occasions of utterly supernatural phenomena, Indy doubts the veracity of these notions. ...produced to the babbling Oxley, who barely recognizes his old friends Jones and Mutt. What follows is, I suppose, a torture session. Spalko tries to expose Indy to the mind-screwing properties of the Crystal Skull, brainwash him to join the Soviets. Either way, the song and dance is interrupted, Indy breaks Max's nose as promised, and we go outside to reveal that Mutt's mother, Mary Williams, is in fact a returning Marion Ravenwood. Indy and Marion kick off their reunion by arguing, naturally. Irina then abandons her initial plan to instead head Oxley to reveal where the skull needs to go via automatic writing and an ideogram riddle. The four are able to escape but find themselves in a quicksand-like sand. Oh, beans, he throws Indy a snake. Oh yeah, and Mutt is Indy's son. Didn't see that coming.
0: Arena possibly having psychic power seems like it would be, like, uh, the thing he would be the least skeptical about at this point. It doesn't... It just doesn't show much character development for for Indy, at least on that front. I do like the scenes with, with Indy and Mutt, though. Like, again, like, people... People shit on this movie specifically for the... For the Mutt and Indy stuff. And I just don't understand it. Because they have a really nice. Kinda. Playful relationship. Uh, Indy never really patronizes Mutt. even, Even after the reveal. I don't think he ever really patronizes him. Or treats him as anything less than. You know. If not his. If not his equal. Then at least like. Someone who has, who seems to have a good head on their shoulders.
2: Yeah, like he 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 shakes his head at him good naturedly, but but you never he doesn't treat him as badly as say like the the movie wants you to treat um, uh, Willie
0: Scott. Right, like he he's not Mutt as a character doesn't exist to get the audience to hate him. He he just he's fine. He I would go as far as to say he's a good character and you know i'm fairly certain they're not going to mention him at all in Indiana Jones 5 because uh, of obvious reasons but one of those reasons shouldn't be that like he's like a a shit character like this i feel like this showed like why he probably should have been in more movies if they if they wanted to go down that road there's
2: I, I I don't think that this is a very um, a very dense act, in my opinion. There's there's yeah a I lo- feel like
1: not a lot happens here.
2: There's there's a lot of confrontation and there's a lot of going places to find things, <laughs> and the, and the, then there's getting captured and escape escaping only to get captured again.
1: Here's the structure of the movie. All the exposition is in Act One. Act two is all padding and X ex- and act three is we got to finish this thing.
2: Hmm.
1: Yeah, I'm getting,
0: I was just thinking about it. I'm getting real rise of Skywalker flashbacks right now And that things just seem to happen to get characters from one plot point to the another and plot points just sort of repeat themselves until it's time for them to not repeat themselves.
2: And the fa- the fact of the matter is, Mac is a one note character. There's nothing yeah. really more to say about that. Um, Ray Winstone is he's good. He 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 does it, he, and so is John Hurt for that matter. Um, John Hurt is like a really really good actor. has has been in all, yeah. a lot of great roles over the years. But like but having those two side characters around, like they, they accomplish less than say like Sal and Marcus Brody
0: yeah they're just kind of there and we're supposed to uh, it's like that it's like if you took the guy who dies at the beginning of Temple of Doom and i remember we made a joke that we didn't care about that character uh it's like if you took that guy and sur- suddenly that guy is like a major focus of another movie it's like why do we care about why what is there to make us care about Mac? We don't know anything about him. We've just been introduced to him. Uh, he's not particularly interesting like his only goal is to have money. That's like
2: Yeah, yeah. It's 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 episode 2 Anakin and and Obi-Wan syndrome where the, where they describe like past adventures and and there's nothing really. And that's not good enough for for the, the justifying this character
0: and again compare him to Belloc who did Belloc want to make money? Yeah but he was also an archaeologist and he wanted to find these things t- for his own ego for his own sense of self and to make money
2: he, he, Why? he was what would become the, the prototypical Iron Man movie villain
0: yeah a, why Holy does God. Mac want... Any, <laughs> why does Mac want anything that he wants? Because Capitalism. money. Uh, if he's a capitalist, then why is he working with the communists? Because they have money. Uh, I just... Uh, I feel like we're spending more time talking about Mac than the screenwriters did. Because he doesn't awesome. really make sense.
2: Also, and I'm just going to be looking at Wikipedia while I say this. I don't think Stalin was was necessarily ever into the occult. Like, I feel like that that's something that they they took like a a sort of uh, a kind of Nazi or Hitler trademark and and just kind of muted it onto to sort or like even like obviously he's a cult of personality. Like, one could extrapolate from that that he'd want to have like there be like a scientific or mechanical way for for people to to kind of like bow at his feet. But at the same time, like. I I don't think that there's ever been any like he's I don't think he's ever flirted with with that in in any way other than just using the state apparatus to to sort of to get people to to sort of like live his ideology.
0: I mean, I think that's sort of a leftover of the original kind of story where originally it was going to be the ex-Nazis and you know, the reason why Spielberg liked the idea was because he liked the idea that there were, you know, even after even after the war and and you know all that, there were still you know, Nazi sympathizers. There were still a shit ton of people who worked with Hitler hiding in Argentina, and that kind of that was one of the things that intrigued Spielberg about the potential direction of the story. But you know, again, Lucas didn't like it for whatever reason, and then I think Spielberg kind of cobbled together a reason why he didn't, you know... He'd already done a very serious, you know, film about the Nazis, and maybe he didn't... Well, that movie, is Schindler's List, isn't about the Nazis, but it is about the Holocaust, and maybe he just didn't feel like he could take a step backwards and make the Nazis the, you know, the sort of... Almost cartoonish supervillains that that they were in 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 uh, Raiders and the Last Crusade in the Last Crusade. Uh, but it would have been a better angle because, yeah, I don't think Stalin was ever like into the occult. It's just, which basically gives Arena's character no real reason to exist. It's like. <sighs> One I, I, thing I'm
1: wondering is <clears throat> why did they need the Roswell alien from the beginning of the movie? Um Yeah,
2: because that's a different crystal skull than the one near or, uh Orellana's grave,
1: right?
0: Yeah, it is. That that's a good point. I don't think But they it's ever- still
1: apparently magnetic and Well, it's not magnetic
0: because it attracts gold, and gold isn't magnetic, but it is magnetic because it attracts gunpowder, and this this script is a mess, and someone should have gave it the once-over to
1: see if it reads well.
2: This is like the... You know, from a
1: lot lot of behind the scenes I've looked at, it seems like George, uh, that Steven Spielberg was just going along with whatever Lucas wanted. Yep. Like Lucas would come up with all these ideas and Spielberg was just like, sure, whatever, fine, we'll film it.
0: Yeah, which is sad. Uh, Again, like, Spielberg never really wanted to do a movie about aliens that I think, you know, part of his desire to just make a kind of light, fun movie again kind of gets in the way here. Because... uh, in the same way that I don't think he had much emotional attachment to Temple of Doom, I don't think he has much emotional attachment to this movie. And I feel like that really comes across in the filmmaking process of itself. I mean, Steven Spielberg is not a director who leads a lot of open plot points. It's not that like he is the most dense director who hides a bunch of... Symbolism and stuff in every movie, but he is he's the crown king of making sure the audience understands what the stakes are and what the plot is. And there's just one too many things in this movie that just don't make a whole lot of sense or just seem like they're dangling plot threads that no one went back and tried to patch up. It's very it's very weird to watch a Spielberg movie that, you know, that feels this kind of disjointed.
2: Yeah. And the the scene where they sort of visit the gravesart gravesart gravesite and are attacked <laughs> by um <laughs> attacked by those uh, guards like it's both kind of pointless and it and it also looks like crap. Like that it's one yeah. of the things that like despite how how elaborate it attempts to be in terms of like the set design it clearly is a set um mm-hmm. it looks like a sound stage it's lit like it like they're trying to hide that it's a sound stage and it it's it's disappointing in that regard
0: there's just not that there's just not that craft of of filmmaking that we've come to expect in the last three movies mm-hmm. i mean say what you want about temple of doom again but like that movie was shot, you know on location, maybe not in India, but shot mostly on location. They did have sets, but like, eh. I feel like even if you have are shooting on a sound stage, even just the fact that you're in a foreign country, like all that the whole movie was shot in the sound stages were all shot in England. And so, even that's going to give you a little bit of a sense of, oh, we're on, you know, foreign soil. It's going to put you into a certain headspace. All the, all the sets look like sets, or they look extremely lazy, or they look like, you know, if you went on vacation to Hawaii, it looks like you could... It was just shot right outside of a hotel. Like, there's nothing... There's nothing extremely visually interesting about the movie and since the plot and the story of the movie is kind of boring that makes it worse. Cuz like I don't like Temple of Doom, but like it looked nice. It 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 sounded nice. I don't I don't remember a single piece of music in this movie at all.
1: Like I don't know. When the only one who has any real passion on your project is George Lucas, you've got a problem.
0: Mm. Yeah, and I don't... I don't know if there wasn't passion, but I feel like this was definitely a hey, let's get the band back together so we can make another movie. Wouldn't that be fun? Kind of movie instead of a hey, we have this awesome idea for a movie. Because again, both Ford and Spielberg were like, I don't want to do this alien shit. And then like... A decade decade or two later they're like, oh, I miss those guys sure, we'll just do George Wacky Aliens movie, whatever uh, I do think that Ford and and Allen have, you know, they're kind of able to recapture their chemistry right away, which is nice again, I don't have many complaints about the, the acting in this movie, except maybe Kate Blanchett is a little bit Okay, I'll take that back. I don't have any problem with like with the characters of Indy and Mutt and Marion. I think they're fine. I think I don't have an issue with that part of the the, the story. I just think I I wish that these characters were in a better movie.
2: Yeah, I think that that's agreeable.
0: Yeah. Uh, do we have anything else about Act Two? Nope. Alright, then... Lay it
2: on us, Backlash.
0: Yep.
1: Okay. <clears throat> Being in the middle of the Amazon, there's only one way to Akator, and that's a giant tree destroying mech. We're still in the 50s, right? I think so. Indy and Marion continue their relationship with spat that none of the people watching this movie are here to see. But, as always, every argument is just an excuse for Indy to punch someone. After taking control of the car... Well, basically everything happens. Indy using an RPG, Russians getting tossed around, playing keep away with the skull, Mac face turning, a sword fight, monkeys, mutt turning into Tarzan for a bit. What fucking movie is this?
0: <laughs>
1: Eventually the convoy crashes, but we aren't done yet, as we have giant fucking ants to deal with. The rest of the group find, tries to find a new vehicle to escape with, while Indy has a final fist fight with the big Russian guy, which ends with probably the most horrifying, get-still-sanitized death in the series. So how do we get out of this scene? In a car that is also a boat and throw it off not one, not two, but three waterfalls. And in a great stroke of luck, they're dumped right in the doorstep of Akator. I think the movie wants to end just as much as we want it to. <laughs> the tunnels leading to Akator seem ominous as it's clear someone else has been he- been there. Sure enough, we have a ton of mines just hanging out in the walls. Sure. They're none too happy about white people showing up to steal their stuff. But there is no plot point the Crystal Skull can't smash through. But uh oh, someone is leading the Russians to Akator. Three guesses as to who, no points for wrong answers. We find ourselves at the point where Ox was originally stumped, but Indy being Indy, he manages to solve it in five seconds. The group is dumped into a room full of golden treasure, much to Mac's pleasure, but oh no, Mac is the traitor! Please act surprised now. At the center of the temple is an ornate golden throne room with 13 crystal skeletons sitting upon golden thrones but one skeleton is missing its skull. Indy is about to return the skull to its owner, but now Spalkov is caught up, and Mac reveals he's the bad guy. Again. Spalkov takes the skull and returns it herself, and the, uh, a- a- aliens agree uh, to give a gift in return. What does she want? To know everything. And, uh, then the, uh, the room starts spinning, and, uh, Mm, th- th- things start uh, fall- falling apart. Mac is trying to steal stuff, and uh, there's there's a portal, I guess. The Russians get pulled in, and and everyone's trying to escape. Uh, skeletons start to form together to make Voltron. Uh, Mac gets sucked into the portal, but he he, he seems okay with it. Uh, Spelkov explodes, I guess, and then everyone escapes, and then the temple, it turns into a spaceship, and uh, it just leaves. We cut back to university where Indy has been made associate dean. I guess that business with the FBI has been swept under the rug. But more importantly, Indy and Marion are getting married. Hooray, I guess. We end with the audience clenching their collective buttholes as we almost get teased that with Mutt becoming the new Indy, but that gets quickly shut down as he has in no way earned that. Movie end.
2: Yeah. That for that deforesting machine was like something out of like a PS1 era Final Fantasy game. You just run into like one of these like Instead of like a, a kind of like beast or instead of like confronting like one of the, your arch nemesis, you just run into this weird like Spider Mech or or, or even Final Fantasy VI had like the tunnel armor or
0: well, that made gonna, more sense. I was gonna say it reminds me of the bulldozer from Fern Gully, but maybe that's only I remember Fern Gully. So just ignore me. Yes, I know you remember Fern Gully. I'm saying they don't remember Fern Gully. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, my wife gave me a look. Um, uh, do we want to have our big "This is why CGI is awful" ranch at at this set at, at this point? Because this is where the movie takes
1: a hard, hard nosedive. Oh my god, I got sick watching the scene originally. And like I said, everything is happening. I couldn't. I couldn't think of a better way to talk about it than stream of consciousness.
2: Yeah, I. I wrote. I wrote down everything that happened, uh, sentence by sentence, when I watched it. I still don't know why. Why I. I'm like, eh. I'll do the act that doesn't involve all the things <laughs> that I wrote down in detail. <laughs> but it's like you. You see, like him. Him doing the fencing, which they at least foreshadowed with, like, um, and his the his bases widening as the jeeps separate which is just just ridiculous um oh my god you know what i forgot to point out what you know who showed up during the college scenes like probably like as they were riding the motorcycle around fucking chet hayes chet hanks
0: (laughs) why why is chet hanks in this movie I couldn't,
2: like, I'm so glad I didn't uh, uh, stop the, the credits before I saw that. <laughs> I don't know, maybe 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 he threw him a bone, like, after saving Private Ryan, or... I forgot whether Tom Hanks did something else to steal, st- with Steven Spielberg.
0: Did Spielberg produce that thing you do? I, figure, I feel like it's the kind of thing he would. Uh, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, so, like... <laughs> I think we've talked a lot about how great the craft of filmmaking has been. Just watching Spielberg and his element at that time period and watching these creative people have to find a way to shoot these big action sequences actually on set. Uh, We talked about how uh, The Last Crusade had the first, you know, CGI that was done almost completely in a computer. This is bad in unique ways, because I don't think... All, all CGI is not bad. And there are certainly people who feel that way, and I don't think those people are correct. But it's just little things that are supposed to add to the realism. Like, you'll notice that, despite the fact that they're whipping through the jungle at, like... 30 miles per hour. No one's hair is blowing. So they don't even have like a wind, a wind machine on set. Right, right. Like that's just like a little, little tiny little fucking detail.
2: It's the type of thing that like it's still not as like bad. It's still somewhat more exciting and followable than the stuff in the prequels, but it's it's things like that that sort of stick in your craw and just and just remind you that it's fake
0: yeah, and like the thing where they're fencing, which Arena only has a sword because they the characters are gonna fence later. Like that's the only reason she has a sword because somebody wrote a sword joke later in the movie. And it just doesn't. So that stun is stupid. and then mutt swinging through the fucking forest. I lost
1: my mind at that scene. Like, what is going on? Like, how much do you want to cram into this movie? And then the 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 fucking carnivorous
0: ants. Which, why? Like, as what? The thing about the big third act action sequence in all the other movies. Is that for the most part, they all told their own individual stories, which sort of helped the plot along, or at least helped us figure out where the characters were, or who Indiana Jones was as a character, or something? An action sequence has to have a point. It has to have it has to tell us about something about the characters. Or it has to tell us something about the story, or the plot, or whatever. What is the point of this action action sequence? Shin. Literally, that's it. This action sequence exists because there has to be an action sequence in the third act. Because the last three movies had an action sequence in the third act. But it
2: they're all chases of some sort.
0: And it has none of the creativity of Indy trying to get to the truck that has the arc on it. It has none of the bonkersness uh, of the minecart scene. It has none, none of the of...
2: the meticulous storyboardedness of the of the Last Crusade. Just yeah. that like gem of a of a set piece.
0: And it just doesn't have again there's this movie lacks soul and that's very i think one of the criticisms that people do lob at Steven Spielberg is that at times his movies can feel a little bit soulless like he certainly doesn't have a uh t- specific type of movie that he directs but you can really tell when he doesn't have a connection with the story that he's del- with this the story that he's directing. And this is a case where it seems to me like George Lucas was like, "Oh, yeah, they should be going through the jungle and uh maybe there's a there's a a, a sword fight, you know, be kind of like the uh the lightsaber battle." And Steven Spielberg's like, "Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yep, we'll put that in the script. Yep, uh-huh. Okay. Okay, George, I'm going to go hang out with my kids now. Bye." Like it just well, seemed <laughs>
2: also geography wise like What was like? They they go from Nazca, Peru to the Amazon jungle, and from there they they manage to chase their way over to their destination. Um, (sighs) yeah, I, I'm just wondering, like how, whatever. I'm not I'm not supposed to wonder, like how they get there.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I I don't want you to think that hard. I just love they get dumped right by the entrance after they go over the waterfall mhm they literally yeah, s- go
2: ahead
1: and yeah i said the ants the most horrifying yet most sanitized death because there's no blood or anything but if you think about it for even a second that's a horrible way to die yeah that's cuz he's still alive when he disappears into that ant mound
2: the the only blood that you see is from the ants when when she does the when what would usually be like uh like a sort of like dominatrix uh heel villains uh thighs on on someone's neck as they
0: they crush the end uh, I just feel like like this this is just like it's just a spot fest it's just shit happening with no story or psychology it's it's there to pop the crowd, but the audience is just. Bored because none of it means anything. Like, this... This... This third-act action sequence is basically what Jim Cornette sees every time he watches the Young Bucks wrestle. Like, this is... This is that. For me. This is... It doesn't make any... It's not that it doesn't make sense. It just doesn't serve a purpose. And again, there's some nice some nice character back and forth with with Marion and Mutt and Indy and I kind of feel like the movie should have just focused on them because that was those were the characters that they had the greatest focus on or they had the most luck with writing correctly Mac turning face when mean, you, you know he's going to... The first time you see a tracker being left for Arena, you know he's just going to be a bad guy again. So what is even the point of having him become a good guy? It just... It's a swerve for the sake of having an, another swerve after the first swerve, which wasn't even a swerve. It just doesn't yeah. mean anything.
2: Again, you don't care about the character in the first place because you know so little about him, and, and really it's just like them playing the same note them uh, delivering the same joke like over and over again with that character
0: and then we get to the uh, we get to the first of all why is this the kingdom of the crystal skulls
1: pretty small kingdom it seems
0: literally the only reason why this movie is called kingdom of the crystal skulls is because George Lucas wanted the name the word kingdom and the title for some reason Mm -hmm. It's gonna been Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skulls, and nothing would have changed.
1: Or, just, or just even better, Indiana Jones and the Search for El Dorado. Yeah, <clears throat> that is a way better title. Uh, my, clearly, my Google, you... ho- my Google Home just started talking to me. For and some actually, reason.
2: yeah, I, I completely <laughs> forgot that what they're finding is El Dorado.
1: Yeah, they which say is, that like, at one point.
2: Which, which is a legend that precedes like, oh, so many others. <clears throat>
0: It, but it's like finding the thing that hamstrings this movie is the fucking crystal skulls and the aliens because and it's not even that i think that like aliens can exist in the same universe where god clearly exists not only this Chris, the christian god exists but clearly the the you know path the pantheon of hindu gods also exists in this movie or in this universe And so, yeah, aliens, sure, whatever. But, like, being so dead set on and having to be about aliens, you miss out on stuff like the fact that they're trying to find El Dorado. And that is a ginormous language, or not language, it's a ginormous story with huge potential just on its own without the alien shit but now you got to b- try and force the alien mythos with the el dorado story so everything makes sense and it want nothing winds up making sense and i don't know how i'm supposed to feel about like when fucking arena dies because she wants to know everything and then she's like no it's too much no i don't i don't want to know everything and then fucking Mac has like one last second face turn when he's trying to carry the gold out and Indy's reaching out for him and then Mac just looks at him and says Indy I'll be alright before he dies because I don't I don't even know why because we're so moved by the character of Mac that you know we we yeah he gets uh, a
2: heroic sacrifice yeah
0: it just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. It doesn't make any.
2: I'd, I'd rather Jim Broadbent uh, follow them around because he has no, no, no job anymore, and <laughs> and like he he just bungles a little, but we don't have to givetch about him being a a healer babyface.
0: Yeah. It just doesn't make. I just by the end of this movie, I was flagging a lot because I was just like. Jesus Christ! I kind of just want this movie to end, and then it ended, and I was like, "It's not even
1: sad." Satis- and it's it, it ends, and you're like, "Wait, what happened?" Yeah,
0: because it doesn't make any, and they don't really explain. I mean, they do like throw in a world, uh, like a they throw in one word of or like a couple lines of dialogue about how. You know, actor Oxley, you know, is returned back to normal. He's like, they're not extraterrestrials. They're interdimensional beings. And it's like, oh, okay, well, they're <clears throat> not really. They're, they're they're not really aliens. They they just look like aliens, are shaped like aliens, were kept in Area 51 like aliens, and have and a flying saucer. In Roswell, and they have a flying saucer like aliens. But they're not the aliens that you're thinking of. They're... Different because Lucas had to find some way to make Steven Spielberg want to film a fucking Aliens movie again.
2: It, it's the old, it's the old uh, Funimation uh, Vegeta excuse.
0: <laughs> Wait, what but would that be? Dimen- for,
2: I'm going to send you to another dimension.
0: I mean, the wedding seems wow, nice. Yeah, um, I guess
2: so. It's cute. Uh...
0: I do want to point out that it doesn't really make sense that Indy and Marion just decide to get back together because reasons.
1: Like, I, I no- think what the implication they were going for was that they were going to be married after the events of Raiders, but Indy got distracted by a shiny thing and mm-hmm. ran off.
0: Yeah, but like in that time, like Marion got married and had like a whole other life. So. And was apparently pissed off at Indy, but not too pissed off to have him p- potentially rescue her. It, it, uh, uh, just—that's the Indiana Jones
2: franchise.
1: <laughs> <laughs> For now, we'll see what they come up with next.
2: Yeah, according to according to uh, Mads Mikkelsen, it's 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 everything he dreamed of.
1: I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad yeah. thing.
2: He's uh, he's neither a screenwriter nor a director, from what I know. He's a he's a. <laughs> also,
1: Mads Mikkelsen is not above being in crap. I'll remind you that.
2: That's true. He's he's a phenomenal actor, and a, and I tend to like everything that he's in. But but yeah, he's sometimes in some shit shit. He's in that
1: fucking Chaos Walking movie I was talking about a few weeks ago. Oh.
0: <laughs> Can we just remember him in Rogue One? He was awesome in that movie.
2: Yep. <laughs> he was he was he was really good in Death Stranding.
0: Uh <laughs> I
2: mean, he was good. The, the The writing was just
1: oh boy. But are we are we sure? you want to talk about someone who ha- who needs a filter.
0: Yeah. Are we sure uh, Hideo Kojima didn't write this movie? Cause it makes
2: a no, no, no. <laughs> it's it's too. It's, it's not obvious
0: enough. (laughs) Uh, yeah. So, I guess, like, what are our final thoughts about this movie? Because, uh, I don't, I mean, I know how to feel about it and I don't, so I'll let you guys go first and then I'll just steal your, your ideas and use it for my own.
2: Yeah, I'll I'll say that, that unlike, uh, Temple of Doom, I think that this movie had way better potential. It's, it's based on, like, a as perennial a legend as, as say, like, the... I mean, the Ark of the Covenant is probably, like, a bit more obscure, but the Holy Grail, that's something that everyone knows about or has heard about, sim- similar to El Dorado. But instead of making it about El Dorado, and then maybe having, like, a Shyamalan-esque twist that, like, it's ancient aliens or intimate, interdimensional beings, they, they focus too much on the Crystal Skull and the, and the foregone conclusion from all the publicity and... and what everyone knew was a bad idea in the first place that, that like they were they're talking about aliens. It had potential with the like, we enjoyed the sort of like family drama of Sean Connery and, and uh, Indiana Jones and the in the last crusade. And that the, the portion of that is is pretty decent. But like this movie suffers from like too many villains. We've we've got a heavy, we've got a, a consistent turncoat, we've got and we've got a villain who's not having to share the, the space with these others is, is, is not compelling enough and, and generally they all take away from, from the dynamic between they certainly take away from Marion like a, as good as Mutton in Indy's relationship is more potential than Temple of Doom perhaps um, less confusing but may go down as being worse I don't know um, it's difficult to determine
1: yeah, I'm gonna say uh, not the worst movie ever. Uh, but I am gonna say this is worse than Temple of Doom because at least Temple of Doom, it had it had heart behind it. Very misplaced, but very still very ambitious. This felt like they just wanted to get it over with and out the door. That uh, Spielberg just wanted, probably just wanted Lucas to stop calling him with his ideas about Indiana Jones meeting aliens. <laughs> like, yeah, I get it, George. You have this idea with aliens. I, I, I told you, we'll do it someday. I'm just, I just don't want to do it right now. And eventually, just like, okay, fine, call up Harrison. We'll see what we can come up with.
0: Yeah, uh, the clearly, clearly, Steven going to work with, like, Fuck! I told him I was never gonna make an aliens movie, and I just got done with War of the Worlds. Shit! Now I'm gonna have to make this movie. Uh, Yeah, I. I don't know where, I, quite where I stand on this movie, because. Well, no, I do. I think it. I think it is probably worse than than Temple of Doom because. I will say that Temple of Doom was at least bold. Temple of Doom at least tried to do something different. It tried to push the Indiana Jones formula uh, in a different direction. So they weren't just making Raiders of the Lost Ark 2. This movie feels like... It feels like someone halfway watched Raiders and the Lost Crusade... And just m- mismatched the concepts together until like, they got a, a fine mush of of movies, and it just doesn't—it just doesn't feel particularly good. I don't think, you know, Temple of Doom. You can ask, you know, ask me tomorrow if I think it's a good movie. I'll probably say, you know what, actually, I liked it. Or ask me. You know, the day after that, I'd be like, oh, no, there's a lot of cringy race stuff in that, and I'm not like it. But at least it makes me think those things. I don't think the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull really makes me think anything.
1: It doesn't make me feel anything except confused.
0: Yeah, basically. And so, what I wanted what i'm i'm trying to figure out do we do like because this is only four movies so we can't go too in depth on it do we still do our wrap-up episode and rank the movies or do we just quickly say which movies we think are best here and announce our new series here instead of say just
1: do it here yeah. yeah
0: yeah okay so yeah uh, someone else go first because I have to think for a second
1: okay I'll go first uh, yeah I'm going to put uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull at the bottom uh, it's mm, there was all there. you can see the bits of a good movie in there but they just didn't come together and they're too smeared with crap to really make anything coherent and then Temple of Doom. Oh, oh, the, the cringe. The cringe is is hard with that one. Uh, I, I, I like I can't watch that movie and just not be like, oh, oh, shoot. I don't want to do this. Let's not do this. And uh, I may not have had the balls to say the Last Jedi was better than Empire Strikes Back. But I am gonna have the balls to say this. Uh, Last Crusade is better than Raiders of the Lost Ark. I like Raiders of the Lost Ark a lot. It is a basically a masterpiece of just exciting cinema, and is the template I point to when you want, uh, <clears throat> when, when you want to do a movie like this correctly. But I honestly just had more fun with Last Crusade. I like the chemistry between uh, Harrison Ford and Sean Connery. I think that the action is just better. I I like uh, all the new things that they try and do with this movie. The whole tank scene is just probably one of the best uh, action scenes ever put to film. And that's what I got.
2: I because I'm uh, lazy in this moment, I'll just sort of like put them in a pass/fail carrot category, which does a disservice to the ones that pass. Those <laughs> surprisingly being Raiders and, and Last Crusade, but I mean, hey, you get a lot out of both of those movies. Um, I still think like on a visceral level, I en- I enjoy Raiders of the Lost Ark, but I do I do agree that in a lot of in a lot of ways, Last Crusade is is staged like more meticulously and. They get a fuckload of mileage out of, out of like just how much movie there is in it. Um, as far as the Temple of Doom and the and and the uh, kingdom kingdom of the Crystal Skull, they all have their sort of mounting problems that that like hold them back from from either taking them seriously or or thinking of them as visually impressive. Um, there are positives therein, but overall they like they're they're movies that I wouldn't willingly want to want to watch again unless like I I have a lot of time on my ends and like I want to have a fun night of just like gawking at some something with with someone who hasn't seen it or someone who who like has something funny to say about it
0: yeah I think um, my list basically is gonna mirror backlashes I think. Kingdom of the Crystal Soul, it just feels, it's so safe, it's so unconfrontational that it, it just makes it kind of bland and boring. Um, and now I realize why all those times I was playing in Suncoast and I never really paid attention to it, it's because it was boring and it, it wasn't good enough to pull my attention away from organizing DVDs or stocking candy or whatever I was doing at the time. It wasn't a good enough movie to grab my attention and make me and my co-workers actually watch the movie, which, you know, I think is pretty damning in and of itself. Temple of Doom, again, I don't think it's a bad movie. I love the chemistry between all the actors. It just it's so it's very cringeworthy, but you know, perhaps I can like it more now, seeing as though Cody Rhodes ended racism uh, <laughs> in in May of 2021. So seeing as though racism is officially is officially cancelled, maybe I can go back in and, and and like that movie a little bit more, but I'm certainly not gonna be rushing out to see it again. Um yeah, Raiders of the Lost Ark again, we we struggled to come up with ways to say how how good that movie was. It was just immaculately crafted. It was it's just a as we said at the end of that of that review, it's just a good movie. It's just a good movie. And as a good movie, it can stand on its own. Um, but the last Crusade takes what raiders did well and adds so much character and depth i love you know connery and and ford's chemistry um i love again the tank sequence is so 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 good um the humor in the movie just made me laugh out loud it's just it it's a fun time and if you're You know, if you're looking for an Indiana Jones movie to show people first, I would almost say show them Last Crusade first and then show them uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Because it's, it's, it's just, it's, it it was better than I had even imagined coming into this. I knew it was going to be good, but I didn't know it was going to be amazing. Okay, and with that, I guess it's time to announce what our next series of movies is going to be. Drum roll, please. Our next franchise that we're going to break down is the Lord of the Rings franchise. Uh,
2: <laughs> uh, See, I don't... say that
1: like it's a bad thing, but I'm, well, sure I'm Okay, the okay the latter half is gonna be bad, but <laughs> No, we're <laughs> and watching it's, and it's three. gonna be long. Oh it's gonna be long. <laughs> I just realized yeah, that, how long that's... all this is gonna be.
2: Yeah, that's that's my issue. I don't think we could necessarily do X summaries so we're gonna have to think of something. Oh boy! I, I do not want to summarize that <laughs> fucking axe, like. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we're doing the Hobbit movies first, aren't we? Since we tend to do them like. Uh,
1: well, that's na- what I'll, narratively d- chronological. Should we movies.
0: should we do the Hobbit movies first because they're in chronological order, or should we do? Should we compare Lord of
1: the Rings to
0: the Hobbit?
1: You see, I have I have arguments for both sides. I'd say do Lord of the Rings first just to show why doing the Hobbit second was a bad idea. <laughs> but then I'd say let's do the Hobbit first just so we have something to look forward to and get the bad one over with.
2: Right. Um I at the very least I'm open minded to watching the Hobbit movies just Martin Freeman, but uh... But I don't think he'll be giving a performance uh, <laughs> Comparable to Fargo season one, so I guess.
0: Hmm. Uh, uh. Uh. Why don't we just flip a coin? Uh, heads, we watch The Hobbit first. In tails, we watch Lord of the Rings first. Fair. Mhm. Hey Google, flip a coin. Alright, so that means. Wait, what did I say Tails was? You said
1: Tails of... was our Lord of the Rings. Alright, so we're.
0: The, we, the, the coin flip said we're gonna watch the Lord of the Rings movie first. Stop me. Alright, so yeah. In our next episode, we will be starting with Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Rings, a movie that. I do not think I've seen I'm like one well, I'm pretty sure I don't I haven't seen it again unless I watched it was on replay in Suncoast which, you know, doesn't mean anything. I seen play... it.
2: I just don't I just don't remember when I saw it.
0: Huh. <sighs> All right. So, on that bombshell, I'm Casey I'm Fox, Foxy from Backlash. And I'm no Chris alive. And we will see you next time with a brand new franchise on sequelizing.